for want of judgment. Uh, one of the few times I've been putting the outline out because we already introduced this verse that you studied out this past week. That you studied out this past week. That you studied out this past Well, I kind of have a question about that. But maybe you did. And if you did, wonderful. Good job. Uh, but we asked you the, the question, what is that verse about? What is it teaching? You may think <coughs> it's an easy answer, but I submit to you there are many angles that commentators come at when they look at this verse. So did you answer those questions in your mind, in your heart, as you looked over that verse this past week? If you did, great. <laughs> You know what? There's sometimes you just can't ignore it. <clears throat> All right. We're, we're glad that's over with. <laughs> I'm hearing a ringing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so now that you... <laughs> I'm sorry. The, the preacher's not supposed to lose it, but he's losing it. <clears throat> uh, All right. <laughs> so... <laughs> so do you, so do you know what this verse is all about? Um, uh, okay, we're going to answer that question. So let's go ahead and let's pray and ask God to give us wisdom and help as we look into this. Uh, Father, I am thankful that you've given us the word of God, that there is wisdom uh, in your word for life and practical help. And I pray that uh, this proverb would be a benefit to us. It would cause us just to think, uh, about uh, truth that is revealed here and uh, and that it might stir some of us, that it might uh, challenge, uh, but as well just encourage us as we think about uh, the very basic and, and simple truths that can be gleaned from your word. So open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to your truth, and we'll thank you for it and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Charles Colson uh, shared the following story. He said, in uh, an article, 20 years ago, Star Parker was a single mother living on welfare. She had been through four abortions. She had a history of drug abuse, promiscuity, and burglary, believe it or not. Today, though, Star Parker is the president and founder of the nonprofit Coalition of Urban Renewal and Education. She's also a popular author, a committed Christian. In her book, Uncle Sam's Plantation, How Big Government Enslaves America's Poor and What We Can Do About It, Parker recalls the words that helped her turn her own life around. Having gone to church at the invitation of some Christian friends, she heard the pastor challenge his congregation with these words, What are you doing living on welfare? The government is not your source. Well, Parker was absolutely stunned when she heard a preacher say that from the pulpit. Government welfare was my source, my only source, she wrote. I believed I was entitled to receive government welfare anytime I wanted it, and I viewed it as an unlimited resource. This belief was intrinsic to my worldview, she wrote. I didn't realize my belief system had trapped me 
in spiritual and also economic poverty. Looking back on it, Parker believes that her problem stemmed from a lazy and a rebellious attitude she adopted while she was still a teenager. She divides the poor into three categories as she deals with them, and she does with this uh, uh, ministry that she has. She calls these three categories, number one, the economically challenged, the lazy poor, and the poor in spirit. Parker has worked with people in each category, and she understands that many poor people are not always blamed for the circumstances they're in. Some have never been taught. There's a lot of reasons why people are in poverty. But she also unhesitatingly classified her younger self as one of the lazy poor, willing to blame anybody but herself for her problems and unwilling to work when she could get welfare checks for doing nothing. The New Testament is clear that God expects people to be industrious or productive. The Old Testament teaches the same thing. Paul said it well in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy bodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Now look, that is the concept that Paul taught, and it was a problem in the church 2,000 years ago almost. So it's, obvious, it's obviously been a problem throughout history. People who feel like they're entitled, that they don't need to work, that they can sit back, they can just go on and do their own thing, and everyone should take care of them. This passage and many others, though, teach us that what Paul taught in 2 Thessalonians wasn't a new concept when he taught it. It was a concept that was brought out many times, actually, by Solomon in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 13, 23, this verse, we kind of see some direction in regard to that where we read those words again, much food is in the tillage of the poor, but there is that is destroyed for want of judgment. Well, since this verse speaks of food, hopefully you've eaten your supper and you're not thinking about that all night. Um, let's call our time Food for Thought. Great title for an outline, isn't it? Food for Thought. And let's see what God has to say. Now, I said, again, what is this verse teaching? I asked that question last week. Is this proverb dealing with poor people or is it a condemnation of the rich? Is the proverb intended to be understood primarily in the context of real life, the poor and the rich, or is it to be interpreted with a spiritual connection, the poor being godly people and the rich being sinners? And you say, well, why would you ask those questions? Because different commentators deal with it in those ways. What is the real lesson? So we're going to begin with the possible interpretations, the possible interpretations. The first, and it seems like the most reasonable way to understand this, as far as just reading it, if you would, uh, the first time without a lot of thought, it would be that this could be seen as a challenge to the poor. It seems as if much food is in the tillage of the poor. 
In other words, there's a lot more they could get from life if they would put forth the effort, but they don't. At least that's how it appears in this verse, and some commentators take that approach. And then they look at the second part of the proverb, but there is that is destroyed for want of judgment, and say, look, if the poor was wise and in in industrious in their work and in their, in their use of the things that they have been given, then they would have a lot more than they do. And that is a possible understanding. So it can be seen as a challenge to the poor. But it also can be viewed as a condemnation of the rich. Now, you may not necessarily see it that way, but they tell us that the language does give us at least and support this idea that the first part of the verse is dealing with the poor. And actually, it's not a condemnation of them saying, well, look, there's a lot of food in their tillage, but they're not using it. But the idea is, at least according to some, and they argue it's a contrast between the poor man and the rich. And to these who write this way, the idea is the poor man makes use of everything he has been given, and thus he has enough to provide for him. He's not rich. He doesn't have a lot. But he makes use of everything he has, and God blesses it, which seems to be the idea of the first part of this proverb. And God makes sure that it's enough to at least meet the needs. So he's able not only to, when he harvests, provide food for his family, but he's also able to, to take some of the seed and use it the next year to plant again. And God, through his wise industrious use of what has been given, he has enough food to provide. Much food is in the tillage of the poor. The second aspect, then, of this proverb would be focusing on the rich. And here's the idea, and here's what they say, okay? So the poor has enough to provide for his own because he does the best with what he has. But the rich is observed in this second half, and he's the one that has plenty. And the truth is, he doesn't have to worry about whether he has enough to eat and those things. And so here's, here's the fact of the matter is he doesn't make good use of. He has plenty. If he used it properly, a lot of good could be done. But because he has plenty, he doesn't maximize what he has available, and thus, great waste takes place because he doesn't use judgment. And quite honestly, I, I actually, I thought the first was the best way to understand it. But in the language, it certainly can be understood and viewed this way as a condemnation of the rich who doesn't make use of what he could. It also can be seen, and this is the third way, as a call to spiritual activity. Here's what one common commentary wrote. While the industrious and God-fearing poor man is richly nourished from the piece of ground which he cultivates, many a one who has incomparably, in, incomparably more than he comes by his unrighteousness down to a state of, of begging or even lower. He's not only in poverty, but along with this, his honor, his freedom, and the very life of his person perishes. And so they view it as a call to spiritual activity. The, 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 the poor man in this description is one who's, who's, if you say, rich spiritually, and the rich man is the one who's in poverty spiritually, and his life is a mess. So, what's the correct way to understand the proverb? <laughs> you say, I don't know. 
And here's the reason why, because the, the, the three views are, are not unacceptable. And I also say that because we can't look at the context of the passage because these are proverbs, these are maxims, they're individual statements. Although some are sometimes tied together, Proverbs was not intended to be looked at verse by verse by verse by verse because it, these stand alone. So um, my preference is, quite frankly, the first one. It seems most likely to me that it's a, a challenge to the poor to make use of and judicious use of that which they have been given. But I, I would not, now some vehemently argue there's one correct understanding, and the truth is that, um, that here's what it is, okay? And, and people would do that, but, uh, but, but quite honestly, um, they don't have a leg to stand on. And the reason why is because since it's not tied with any other verses, uh, unless it's really clear in the passage, it's very hard for us to say dogmatically this is the correct and the proper interpretation. But what I will say is this. The ultimate conclusions that are made, a number of them, all center around a, a few different truths that we're going to go ahead and share with you this, this evening. And that's what's important. Because we ultimately come to, no matter what direction someone goes, to some of the same spiritual conclusions from this passage and from this text. Now, each approach may give us some different ideas a little bit, but they all come to the ultimately the same understanding. So then quite frankly, it doesn't, it doesn't matter in this case. Now, a lot of times it does matter what your interpretation is. And it does matter uh, because we're to rightly divide the word of truth. But there are some scriptures that there are just honest questions about. So you say, why are we dealing with it? Just to bring out that point to some extent, but as well because there's great truth to be gleaned. So let's make the point, okay? The point made. <laughs> so it's the possible interpretations, the point being made. And this really is the idea that they all get down to, and here's what it is. There are God-given opportunities for all in life to be productive. All right, think that through again. There are God-given opportunities for all in life to be productive. And that's true. Therefore, it's the responsibility of all, of all people, of all men, to act, act judiciously with what we've been given. So if I were to sum up and to say, well, well then what is the ultimate lesson and if, if we can't necessarily argue this interpretation is the exact proper one, ultimately it gets down to this point, that there are God-given opportunities. If you want to see the poor man as the one who hasn't used all his opportunities because he hasn't been judicious, fine. If you want to see it as the rich man who's sitting there and he doesn't have to do a lot with it and he hasn't been judicious, either way, the point is that there are God-given opportunities everyone has in life to be productive. And it is our responsibility to act and use what has been given to us in a, in a judicious, because that's the word, it's actually a verdict. It's like a judicial way. In other words, don't, make, don't waste what God has given us. Someone said this, little is much, 
uh, I'm sorry, little is made much by God's blessing and human effort. Much is made little by wickedness or carelessness. And quite honestly, if you were to say, well, what is the biblical principle ultimately we're getting down to? I would believe that the argument is sowing and reaping. Everyone has opportunities. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone can be rich. By the way, someone says, well, anyone can pick them up themselves up by their bootstraps and they can become rich. No, not anyone can. Remember, we already said that the rich and the poor, God is the maker of them all. And there are some who are poor because they're poor. Uh, some because they never had opportunity or education. And, and by the way, that was by the design of God. He didn't fail. Aren't able to make it make it rich. Other people have brilliant minds, and they can, they can succeed in everything. By the way, some people have brilliant minds, and they don't use them, and they're failures. And so the point is, ultimately, in this proverb, that what you, what you sow, you reap. And you are to take advantage of the opportunities God gives you in life, whatever they may be. And you use them to the best of your ability. And when you don't, you fail God. And do you know Jesus Christ taught that a number of times in the New Testament? He ultimately taught that truth. Remember we talked about the talents? How many times did Jesus talk about talents and, and use different stories in regard to that? The stories were a little bit different uh, in dealing with different audiences, but the, the message was pretty much the same. So the point being made, there are God-given opportunities for all in life to be productive, and it's the responsibility of all to act judiciously with what we've been given. So the practical implications, and I, I just, um, or applications. Someone made this comment, and the, the first one I want to share with you, just kind of, we're, we're just tying it all together, and yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this done. A whole outline. It's good that it's just one verse and there's just really one point. So let me just share with you a couple of thoughts and implications or applications we can make. Someone said this, and I thought it was really good. The power of ground to produce depends on the effort of men to work it. And I thought that was a great statement about, about this proverb in itself. Much food is in the tillage of the poor. If you're looking at it from the standpoint that I that I'm I would I want to argue that that would be the proper intent. So there's a lot there. The power the ground has power to bring forth because God made it that way. But it depends on the effort of men to work it and what they put into it they get out of it sowing and reaping. Are you, are you get, starting to get the point with that? But I thought that was a wonderful statement. It's not the main thrust of the proverb, but it's an intriguing point. He brought out the fact, this writer, that whether poor or rich, every man has something he's been given by God, and he's made to make use of it, not to squander it. Look, there's no shame in being poor if you're putting forth the greatest effort you can with what you have. There's no shame in that at all. But there is a shame in being poor if you're sitting back like the lady did for a number of years, the one who ended up making something of her life, and she had talent, she had ability, but she did nothing with it. God holds us accountable for such. So the power of ground to produce depends on the effort of men to work it. And this is just a truth in life. God has given everyone 
abilities of some kind. And they're going to make use of those, no matter wherever they're at in the, in the scheme of things. All right, the second truth, second implication or application we can make, and, and it's found in this passage, there's satisfaction in using what you've been given. Look, look at the verse again. Much food is in the tillage of the poor. If we want to take that second understanding and second interpretation, it would be this. And here's the poor man. He's working diligently. He's working diligently. And he finds that as he works diligently, it's sufficient. It's enough. And there's satisfaction in that. So he has given his best. He's given his all. And he's found that it meets the needs. And I'll tell you, there is satisfaction in that. When someone gives of themselves, when they do what they can and use what they've been given, there is just a wonderful satisfaction in that when in reality, a lot of people are dissatisfied in life. And here's the reason why, because they sit around and they don't do anything with what they've been given. Um, someone used the story of the talents taught by Jesus, and that's why I brought that out a few moments ago, because it, it's a great point. Um, he explained that the, the man with one talent did nothing. And, and the writer said this, maybe the guy felt he had so little, I, you know, I only have one. So what, there's no sense in doing anything with that. Because he didn't make use of it. He wasn't judicious with it. He just took it and he hid it away. God says, you're, you're, a, you're a worthless servant. Um, and the others found they were rewarded. They were satisfied. third thing, and this kind of goes into that thought. Waste is a terrible thing. Here's true. You want to look at it in a secular sense, as the proverb probably was written in the secular sense. It wasn't written necessarily as a spiritual truth, although there's spiritual application. But in the in in the realm of, of just life, waste is a terrible thing. Oh, man. We could, we could get off on this other thought, but in America, it's amazing how many how much people throw out. I, have you have you ever just observed that, that people in restaurants a lot of times they leave almost entire meals? It's like, are you going to leave that food? What would you always say? They're starving kids in Africa. But but the truth is, we have been so blessed in America, we don't even think anything of throwing something out like that. When when there are people that are struggling just to make enough to live and survive. And as far as God is concerned, if what he taught, what Jesus Christ taught in the New Testament, what Solomon said here, as far as God is concerned, waste is a terrible thing. And if you don't believe that, all you have to do is look at what Solomon said about going to the ant and learning to, to, when he taught the sluggard in Act. In, not Acts, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. Or you could go to Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 to 34, where he talks about the field of the slothful, and he found it all grown over. What waste of something he had when he had plenty and when he had all sorts of things. And it is a terrible thing when someone sits around and does nothing. Waste is a terrible thing. Uh, waste is a terrible thing in spiritual realms, too. Not just physical realms, but in spiritual realms. Um, I, I, I don't think God only wants to encourage you to eat all the food that you have on your plate. But, but um, 
God doesn't want you to waste the things he's given you, the abilities and the talents and the gifts. You have something you can invest in the lives of others in a local church. Every Christian does. I know we hit on this, and I'm going to hit on it again. Because this proverb suggests that. You're to use it. The work of this ministry should not fall on five or ten people. It should fall on 40, 50 people. We're all doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the reason why a lot of churches suffer is because a lot of Christians waste what God has given them. It's a powerful proverb. It really is. And it's worth thinking about. The final point is this, then. Ultimately, we're responsible to God for cultivating all we've been entrusted with. It's really restating one of the things we said we looked at the purpose, but I wanted you to see it again. We're responsible to God for cultivating all that we've been entrusted with. If this is the rich man, poor man, the poor man made all of the use of all that he had, and he finds it sufficient to meet the need, but the rich man wastes. Look, God holds men accountable for what they do with what they have. I was thinking about that this week. Here's a guy getting straight A's in school. Hardly studies. Did you, did you hate? Oh, man, I hate it. Did you study? Nah, didn't need to. I was fine. What'd you get? Oh, A. Got the extra credit, too. Um, across the room is a learning challenge student. He goes home every night with a boatload of books, and he spends hours studying for a test, and his report card suggests... He would be a great fisherman because it's full of seas. That was bad one. Um, who should be praised? In most cases, in the classroom, the teacher handing out papers would say what? He got an A. Wonderful job. Wouldn't say anything about the student who got a C. But the fact of the matter is, God may reward the C student and condemn the A student. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? It's true. Because God holds people accountable for what they can do, what they, He has given them the ability to do what they do with it. And that should be challenging to everyone in this room. Well, I can't do much. What are you doing with what you have? Well, I can't get up and do that. What are you doing with what you have? No one said you had to be a great public speaker. No one said you had to be able to teach a class to be useful. But what God did say is, I've given you something, use it. And that, my friends, is Proverbs 13, 23. Much food is in the tillage of the poor, but there is that is destroyed for one, because it lacks, they lack judgment. They're not judicious. 
with what God has given them. So, the question is not, did you get A's or did you get C's? The question is, did you do the best with what you'd been given? If you did, God is pleased. Father, I thank you for this proverb and this simple truth that we need to understand and grasp and live in light of. And I pray that your, your people, myself included, would, would understand it's, it's not how we can impress people. What's important is using what you have entrusted us with. If you've entrusted us with much, help us to be faithful with much. If you entrusted us with a little, help us to be faithful with a little. And just do what we're supposed to do for the glory of God. And let you bring the increase. Because it, it's indicated in Scripture, even the one we looked at, that it's what you do when people give their best. So help us, Lord God, to do what we can to the best of our ability for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.